Who likes the Cars ride at Disneyland? Anybody? Like, that is my favorite ride. Um, my wife introduced me to it. She heard about it, and we went down, we rode on it. It is amazing. It's a lot of buildup. You know, you're driving through the little car land and looking at stuff, but then when you get on the road, I mean, I could honestly be on that ride for like an hour. Like, it's weird because technically it's just kind of like driving in a real car, which I do all the time, but there's just something about it where you're just zipping around and the music's playing and it's really fast. You're in a convertible. Maybe I just need to buy a convertible. I don't know. Um, but it's amazing. It's an amazing ride. But... What comes before the ride that's really a drag? The line. The line. And the line, the line honestly sucks. The line is like the worst thing that ever happened to humankind. When you're trying to go to something really cool, but you have to stand in this long line, it's horrific. Well, honestly, I think for a lot of us, myself included, the way that we view our Christianity, a lot of times is like we're in the line. And heaven is the car's ride. And we're just waiting. Like maybe you felt that way. Maybe you feel like being a Christian is kind of like being in a line. It's long. You have to wait for a long time for the real thing to happen for you to get to heaven. When you're in a line, you have to be around a lot of people that you don't know and a lot of people you don't really like. And there's restrictions in a line. In a line, you can't do anything. You can't like run around. You can't leave your place in the line. You might lose it. So you're restricted and you feel like, when is this going to end? How long do I have to do this? This is horrible. This is hard. For a lot of us, our faith can feel that way. It feels like we're standing in this long, long line and heaven is so far off and we're never going to get to enjoy ourselves. And there's so many things as Christians we can't do and our life feels so restricted. And we look at everybody else in our schools and our friend groups who aren't following Jesus and, and they seem like they're having so much more fun with us or so much more fun than us at times. And so that's where it can be very difficult for our faith. Well, this is where I want to encourage you tonight. That line is, it's the wrong way to view your walk with Jesus. It's the wrong way to view your faith. Jesus talks about this narrow gate. He says, enter by the narrow gate. It's not a wide gate. It's not a wide path. It's this narrow place that you enter. And for a lot of us, we view it as like, okay, if I'm going to be a Christian, I have to walk the straight and narrow, and my whole life is going to be restricted, and then one day I get to heaven, and that's when things really open up for me. But what I want to encourage you guys in is if you take the narrow door, Jesus says, I am the door, enter through me. If you go through that narrow door, and it's narrow, it's narrow, it's you have to believe in Jesus, you have to give your life to him, you have to follow him, there's no exceptions to that. But once you pass through that narrow door, your whole world opens up bigger than it ever has before. And I'm, I'm at a point in my life now where I realize this, but I miss so much of it as a kid. I just thought of Christianity as so restrictive, and I missed that what Jesus actually invites us to is something called the kingdom of God which growing up, I thought just meant heaven, just the place that you go where you die, this cloudy city where you go and maybe you get to sit on a cloud and play a harp and maybe you're a fat, naked baby. I don't know. Like, that's what all the paintings say. Um, and or when I got older and I realized that was kind of stupid, um, the way I kind of thought of heaven was it's a 24-7 worship service, which sounds awful. I'm sorry, but I love to worship, but like 24-7 for a million years just singing songs over and over again sounds terrible. Um, and no disrespect to the Lord. Um, and, and if that's what it was, that, I mean, that'd be fine. But I'm convinced that it's not. The kingdom of God 
is so much bigger than that. It is a whole new world that Jesus invites us to. I want to ask you guys to read with me in Matthew chapter 6. Let's go to verses 9 through 10. And my phone is not unlocking. There we go. Okay, Matthew chapter 6. Now it's doing that thing where I'm trying to swipe and it won't swipe. Swipe left, swipe right. Oh, oh, there we go. Got it. All right. Let's start in verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Read this out loud with me. Ready? One, two, three. Pray then like this. Are you guys reading? I don't hear any voices. Uh, I'm reading the ESV. All right, I'll read it. I'll read it. Just listen and read along and try to decipher the different translations. Jesus is telling his disciples how to pray. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's just stop there. That is a verse that growing up I read and for one I associated it with like Catholics because of that's like the prayer that they would pray all the time. So I didn't really think there was anything that special about it. And when I thought of, you know, our Father in heaven, okay, God's up in the sky, he's up in the clouds. Um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name is great. I get that. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the way I thought of that was just like, okay, so one day the rapture is going to happen and like God is going to come like the king. And uh, it would be, you know, when it says on earth as it is in heaven, it would be great if people acted good and godly. Then it would kind of be like heaven on earth a little bit, and that would be cool. That's kind of the extent of how I thought of it. It was just like, yeah, you know, your kingdom come, and it'd be great if people were nice to each other and loving on earth. That, that'd be great. What I didn't realize was that God wants to bring a little bit of heaven to earth. In fact, a lot of bit of heaven to earth. Um, and that's exciting to me. Because it makes heaven something that is here, but also there, if that makes sense. One day when we die, we will go to a place called heaven. It will be God's full kingdom, and we will see it for everything that it is. It will be perfect. Jesus will be king. There will be no more death, no more lying, no more crying, no more destruction. It will be awesome. But when Jesus came to earth, he came to bring something more than a couple good blessings. A lot of people think Jesus is a teacher who just was like a moral teacher. Like Jesus came and he just talked about, hey, love each other. Be nice to one another. He was a good moral teacher. Um, some people thought Jesus came to be a life coach. That's actually how some churches treat Jesus. Is Jesus is here to tell you how to make the most amount of money. Jesus is here to tell you how to be really successful. Jesus is here to make your life perfect. Um, that's what we call the prosperity gospel. Guys, Jesus came to earth on a rescue mission. If you think about it, like think about Adam and Eve, like they were created in the Garden of Eden. Eden was meant to be this heavenly place on earth. It was a perfect place where God could be with his family, man, and God could connect with them. God could talk with them. The Bible says that Adam walked through the garden. Can you imagine taking walks with God, like where he's actually walking next to you? That would be so amazing. 
It was this perfect place for God and man to enjoy one another. I don't even know if the original plan was for people to go to this other place when they died. Maybe the original plan was just God creates earth and man lives there. Man connects with God and God is there with them. And then like it's just it's an amazing thought. But what happens? People sin, people mess up, and now there's a war between God and Satan, and literally Satan brings hell to earth. Like, hell is also a place that we go when we die, but hell is also something, if you really study the scriptures, if you look into the original languages, the way that the Jews thought of hell was, it's a place that you go when you die, but it's also something that is caused from our sin. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, war is hell? War is hell. Think about countries where just they're decimated by war. We're so lucky to live in America. There's people who, I, I talked once to a British man who served in the British army, and I asked him about the war, and he's like, there's no glory in war. Like, in, in war, it's hell. People die everywhere. Destruction, death, it's, it's hell. And I think that's an interesting phrase because it's, it's not just like, a, like an analogy. Literally, when we sin, we're creating little spaces of hell. Like, we're bringing hell to earth. That's what Satan did. When Satan came and tempted Eve, tempted Adam, they ate the fruit. Literally, Satan's mission was to overtake earth with hell. So just imagine the ball of earth, and it's like the globe, and it's being covered in darkness. Starting in the Garden of Eden, darkness is spreading throughout the entire world until it's so corrupted that God has to send a flood to wipe out everybody and start over. And then, right away, after Noah gets off the ark, like you guys heard Stephen talk about on Wednesday night, Noah gets drunk, does a bunch of weird, nasty stuff. His sons are all sinners. Like, God wipes the world clean and right from the start, the darkness starts to spread again. And so God looks at the world and sees that the darkness is spreading, that hell is literally covering earth. And Jesus says, my mission is to bring heaven to earth. It is to come down and to bring what I have here with my father. I'm going to bridge the gap. I'm going to climb over the wall and I'm going to bring it to a lost people who are suffering in darkness. Yes, heaven and hell are places that you go when you die, but the reality of them are very real right now. Who's ever heard of uh, the song? You've all heard it, actually. It's the song, How He Loves Us, right? How he loves us. So you know that part where it's like, when heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. You know that part? Um, so an unforeseen kiss, that's kind of funny. Um, the other day I was at a concert with my wife, and like I went over to kiss her. And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, sorry. And she's like, it was unforeseen. I didn't see it coming. Like it, it just it threw her off guard, you know? Um, I think it's kind of funny to think of it that way. It's an unforeseen kiss where you sneak up behind a girl and plant one on her cheek or whatever. Guys, please don't do that at camp or I'll kick you. Um, anyway. There's another lyric to the song. Who knows what it is? Heaven means earth like a sloppy wet kiss. And a lot of churches don't like to use that lyric, but I actually think it's great. Because listen, a sloppy, let's just all say it. One, two, three. Sloppy wet kiss. Okay, great. So a sloppy wet kiss is so much more passionate and romantic than just an unforeseen little, like, and then, like, run away. Like, a sloppy wet kiss is, like, something I hope you all get to experience one day in marriage, and hopefully not before. Um, Or maybe if you have a dog, you'll experience it. Um, Think about it. Heaven 
earth. Jesus loves the earth. He loves his people. He loves his children. And so an unforeseen and sloppy, wet connection of just, bam, heaven and earth together. Like that on the cross, when Jesus came, he is saying, I am passionate and romantic about my people and I'm going to come down and I'm going to risk everything to die on a tree for them because I love them. It's amazing. You know, they asked Jesus, they said, uh, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they're like, hey, Jesus, where's the kingdom of heaven? Like, when are we going to know? When is it going to come? Is it going to be like, uh, we're going to see it in a cloud, you know, coming down from the sky and be like, oh, there's the kingdom. Or they asked Jesus, uh, you know, is it going to be like the kingdom's going to be in another country and it'll start to establish itself and we'll see a castle in the distance. We'll go, oh, there's the kingdom, let's move there. And Jesus said, no, the kingdom is not something that will come down in a cloud. It's not something we'll see off in the distance. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is among you. And the Pharisees were just like, whatever. What Jesus meant by that, it's so exciting. He says, guys, listen, you want to go to heaven when you die? Of course you do. But what's better? Heaven is here with you. You will go there. Absolutely. You will go there. But heaven is with you because I am with you. Guys, the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is. The kingdom of God is here right now. I want you guys to think of something. Think of this scenario, okay? Imagine that our... Imagine that we are refugees, okay? That's the big thing in the news right now. We've been running from war, okay? We've been running from people trying to kill us. We're a small group, and we live for another kingdom. And we're here in this building, and maybe there's war going on outside these walls, but we're here, and then our king shows up. Guys, listen, guys, our king shows up and says, my people, I know the world is crazy. I know the world is hard, but I am with you. And because I am your king and I'm with you, the kingdom of of heaven is with you. We are together. We think of ourselves as whatever country we're from. We think of ourselves as American. We think of ourselves as, you know, whatever you are. You're probably all American. If I was talking to a bunch of people in England, they'd consider themselves British. Um, If I was talking to people in Africa, they'd consider themselves Africans. And that's their kingdom and that's their land. God actually calls us, no matter what we are, American, British, English, Russian, African, God calls us to, to consider ourselves a new people, Strangers in a foreign land, peculiar people who live for a different kingdom. There was a man who, uh, I just heard this recently in the news, um, he, uh, he was going out shopping and he was walking towards his house and then he thought, oh man, I really want a Hot Pocket. Did you guys hear about this? Anybody? He's like, oh, I really want a Hot Pocket. So he, like, instead of going home, he leaves, goes to the store, gets a Hot Pocket, like, heats it up in the store microwave, eats it, enjoys it. While he was out, a plane crashed into his house. And, like, nine people died. Like, it's crazy. And this dude, this, it's really, it's sad, but it's funny because he's got, like, this, these, like, this, like, long blonde hair, like, down to his butt. He just seems like a total stoner. And he's like, he's like, man, I'm really glad I got that Hot Pocket. <laughs> 
<laughs> my point is, one decision can change anything. Being here, guys, missing one thing, missing what God has to say to you tonight could totally mess up what God is trying to teach you. You can miss it. I want to challenge you. Listen to the Spirit tonight. Don't distract one another. It would be awesome if you didn't. I want to talk to you guys about just this idea of um, being a fan versus being a follower. How many of you guys are fans of things? Anybody a fan of things? Sports, music, artists, rappers, whatever. Food. Who's a fan of food? Okay, I'm a fan of food. Absolutely. Jesus never asked for fans. Guys, Jesus never asked for fans. In fact, there was times in the Bible where Jesus had a huge, there was actually this one time, Jesus has this huge crowd of people, just thousands of people all around him, and they're following him, but you know why? Because they're fans. They heard that Jesus makes sandwiches. Seriously, like he made food for them. Like they heard, oh man, Jesus is the guy who makes us loaves and fish sandwiches. Amazing. This is before they had like California burritos. So they are following Jesus because he does cool things and they like it. So Jesus is looking around and he's like, man, I got a lot of fans, but where are my followers? And you know what he says? He says something crazy. He goes, hey guys, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everyone's like, oh, vampire. And they run away. Like they're sketched out. And like literally, he's got all these fans. They all leave and he's only got a few followers left. And Peter comes up to him and Peter's like, Jesus, like, why did you say that? That was like the worst possible thing you could have said. We're trying to get a lot of people in this movement. And what Jesus says, he's, he's like, I'm not looking for fans. I'm looking for followers. I'm looking for people who actually do what I say. I mentioned this recently, but, um, you know, imagine... Your dad asks you to clean your room, you know, and he, he asks you, I know it's terrible, I hate it. I always was like, why don't you just let me clean my room? When you tell me, it makes me not want to do it. That was me. For some reason, when your parents tell you to do something, especially if you're already planning on doing it, it just makes it the worst. Um, anyway, so your dad says, clean your room, and he, he comes in your room and looks at it a week later, and it's filthy. So he comes out, and you're laying on the couch, you know, Snapchatting or whatever, and Dad comes over and he's like, you didn't clean your room. And you're like, whoa, 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 Dad. I memorized what you said. Straight up memorized it. And your dad's like, what the heck are you talking about? He's like, yeah. You know what, Dad? I can repeat it word for word. Check this out. Clean your room. Pretty cool, huh? And I know how to say it in Hebrew. I know how to say it in Greek. Pretty amazing. And your dad's like, what, the, what on earth? And you're like, you know what, Dad? Um, I actually just read this book, this amazing book about the importance of a clean room. And, uh, oh, dude, it's so good. And then uh, I actually had my small group over, and we had, like, an hour-long discussion about, like, why a clean room is essential to, like, a good life. Uh, and then we're actually going to a huge conference this weekend. They're going to sing all these songs about having a clean room. And uh, it's just, it's going to be amazing, Dad. Aren't you proud of me? Your dad's just like, oh, my gosh, I regret having children. Um, <clears throat> That's, I mean, that, that's, that's where some of us are. Like, Jesus has told us 
if you love me, do what I say. Keep my commandments. But we're just like, you know, God, like, I know what you said. Memorized it. I'm in church. I'm listening to a guy ramble on about how I should do what you say to do. Isn't that enough? And Jesus says, I'm not looking for fans. I follow people on Instagram. I'm sure you guys do, too. We follow a lot of different people. But do we actually do what those people say a lot of times? A lot of times when somebody posts something spiritual or even like something like like advice, you know, like life advice. Usually it's just quick read. Oh, that's cool. Like. And then we've done our duty. And we move on and we swipe on to the next thing. And we go on to the next thing. Jesus is not looking for someone to hit the like button on him. He's looking for somebody who will follow him. Someone who not just like his words, but love his words. And that's hard. Guys, that's hard. If you guys read in Matthew chapter 6, I want to encourage you guys tonight before you go to bed, read Matthew chapter 6. It's like Jesus just talking about what life in his kingdom looks like. It's hard. You know what Jesus told the people who followed him, his actual followers? He said, guys, go the extra mile. And they're like, what does that mean? And Jesus says, if somebody asks you to carry their stuff a mile, go with them two miles. Now, that might sound like, you know, oh, what a wise little saying of Jesus. If you study that passage, you know what he was getting at? During that time period for the Jews, they were under oppression. Like, imagine here in America, we get invaded by Russia. And so you're walking down the street and a Russian soldier comes to you and he says, hey, you, ninth grade dude, here's my AK-47. I want you, some of you guys are like, yeah, that's awesome. It's heavy, okay? He's like, here's my gear, here's my pack, here's my gun. I want you to put this on your back and I want you to carry it with me for a whole mile. Yeah, I know, I know. I've asked you guys to carry things a few feet before. I know how hard it is, okay? <laughs> it's a, the struggle is real. <laughs> carry a couple water bottles somewhere. Um, so, Jesus says to the Jews who have Romans doing this, Roman soldiers saying, hey, here's my armor. Here's my heavy, heavy armor. I want you to carry this a mile. Jesus says, go the extra mile. Carry it another mile. That's, that's hard, for a Jew with Romans living in their town, like oppressing them, I mean, the Jews want to look at the Romans and go, that's my enemy. I hate them. Uh, when I sit around the Thanksgiving dinner table, I'm going to talk trash about them. I'm going to say, man, these Romans are horrible. I hate them. I hope they die. But Jesus says, love them. Love your enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. That is so hard. To love your enemies is probably one of the hardest things that we can do. And guys, right now, where we are, as, like where Christians are, it, it, I don't know if you guys have heard this phrase before, but I've heard it a lot. Christians today are known more for who we're against. Like when you think of Christians, um, they did an interview. They walked around. They asked Christians like, you know, um, when you think or they didn't ask Christians, they asked just, you know, normal non-Christian people. And they said, when you hear the word Christian, what do you think? And the words that came out were Hypocrite, angry, prideful, hates homosexuals, things like that. Those are the things that came out. When asked about Christians, the reputation that we have is we're known for who we're against. When you ask a Christian, like even Christians, some Christians, if you ask them like, you know, what are you about? They'll talk about what other types of Christians they don't like. I don't like these Christians. I don't like people at this church. I don't like this denomination. Christians are known for what they're against. I say, let's be known for who we're for and what we're about. Guys, 
I want you to repeat this after me because if you get anything from this, this is like the, the start of the weekend. This is the main thing I want you to get. I want you to say this with me. Are you ready? Okay, I'm going to say it. I want you to repeat it with me. If Jesus... No, okay. I was going to say it all, all the way through, but um, I'm so mad at you guys. Um, if Jesus is king, that changes everything. Okay. I thought you guys were going to repeat and say, okay. Um, seriously, if Jesus is king, that changes everything. Thank you. There you go. If, if we're living our life and we have no king, we have no hope, we don't know where we're going to go when we die, that's going to affect how we live. But if Jesus is king, that changes everything. It changes what we're about. Guys, we are a people who are called to be about God's kingdom. And I hope as, as I teach tonight and as Ben continues to teach tomorrow that you continue to understand what it means to live for God's kingdom. But let me just give you guys a taste. If we live for God's kingdom, if Jesus is king, then what we live for is we live for love. We love the people around us unconditionally, whether they've hurt us, whether they've harmed us, whether they, they cause us to be in danger, whether they make our life difficult. We love them because that's what Jesus did for his enemies, us, before we knew him. If we live for Jesus, if we live for his kingdom, we live for grace. We live for rescue. Our life is not about trying to grab fame and fortune and things that make us happy. That's like chasing the wind. When you finally catch it, you realize you have nothing in your hands. Our life is a rescue mission. God has called us into this world to be lights. And I used to think, go and just, you know, live your life and put a big smile on your face and you'll shine for the Lord. It's so much more than that. It's realizing that there are people all around us sinking and dying. People at your schools, people in your families, people in your neighborhoods, people on your sport teams who need Jesus. And we have been called to be a part of this mission. This isn't a message. A message. <laughs> this isn't a message, guys, where I'm going to get up here and be like, you guys are all doing this wrong and you need to change it and do this different. That's not the point of this message. That's not the tone of this message. The tone of this message is I'm inviting you to be a part of what Jesus is doing. It's an invitation. And so I want you to listen and remember that God is calling you and you're the one. You are. Don't look at the person next to you. You are the one that God is calling. Not her, because she's more spiritual. Not him, because he's more talented and more gifted. You. God is calling you. I hope you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit right now. Please try not to distract your friends. So, I remember um, one time I went to Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> and, uh, or wait, no, I think it was Bates Nut Farm. Yeah, probably that. Uh, <laughs> big difference, right? So, um, yeah, I think it was, I keep wanting to say Nate's Butt Farm because when I was in fourth grade, <laughs> that's what we all said because we thought it was hilarious. Bates Nut Farm. Um, we were there. And uh, I happened to be standing, you know, strategically, like you do, next to the girl I liked the whole time, you know third grade, trying to position myself, you know, to be able to impress her with how cool I was in third grade. Well, um, as we were walking, I bumped into a trash can. 
and that trash can was full of a swarm of bees. So the bees come up. Now, bees are my number one fear after heights and dogs and broccoli. Um, you know, those are my fears back then. So that would have been crazy if a bunch of, like, broccoli came out. I was just like, ah! I'd probably cry. Um, but a bunch of bees came out. And, like, a swarm. And my classmates all just kind of mildly reacted, like, ugh, oh, bees, ugh. Oh. My reaction was I fell on the ground and started, like, weeping like a little girl in front of this girl I liked. Not my finest moment, especially because it was that girl's mom who had to drive me home early. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, it worked out. <laughs> I'm at Brooklyn, so, um, yeah. And she doesn't mind that I'm afraid of bees. So, I said that really weird, bees. <laughs> Here's my point, though, okay? My fear, guys, my fear in that moment crippled me from my mission to win this girl. My fear crippled me. Guys, fear cripples the church. I want to encourage you, do not live in fear. Fear is a huge part of the church today that I see. For so many Christians, it just breaks my heart every time I log on to Facebook. I see Christians not posting things. And you guys aren't on Facebook because you don't see this. You guys are on Instagram, and that's a whole different game. But on Facebook, where the older Christians are, people my age and older, I just see a ton of fear. Just people posting about how things in their life are going bad, how things in the government are going bad, how things in the world are going bad, and it's all just like, what are we going to do? The whole world's falling apart. I see it in things as simple as Starbucks not putting Merry Christmas on their cup. And I see, yeah, I know. And Christians are on there like, oh my gosh, like it's the war on Christmas, and like I don't even know if Jesus is going to let Santa come to my house if the Starbucks comes to red. Like, it's just people are freaking out about this. Like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. No, like... There's people honestly getting their heads chopped off in other countries. Like Starbucks cups are the least of our worries. But it's, it's fear that drives that. It's a, it honestly is. It's a fear of losing something. It's a fear. It's, it's, it's older people. And you have to try to understand them because you guys are in a different place. You guys don't care about the cups. The older people remember a time when they were younger and the world was much more Christian. At least their American world was much more Christian. And they remember that like everywhere you went, it was Merry Christmas and everything was just super all about Jesus and and presents and fun and all that stuff. And now the world has gotten more secular. And it it, it truly is true. Like people are way more anti-Jesus. But it's, it's fear that causes us to freak out. There was a pastor who posted on Facebook. He was like, um, he's like, you know what? Like, this is, this is a horrible thing that's happened. And what we got to do as Christians to win back Christmas is we got to go in and, and lie to employees at Starbucks and tell them that our name is Merry Christmas. So we trick them into writing Merry Christmas on the cup. And it's just, like, yeah, it's like, yeah, got him. Like, really? No. Like, what if we, that's not living for the kingdom. That's living for what we want our, you know, country to look like. That's tricking people. That's, that's lying to people and trying to get them to break the rules of the place they work at. What if we instead went into Starbucks and we bought a coffee for one of the many homeless people who live there? And we sat down with them and we told them about Jesus. What if we left a giant tip for the barista and we wrote on the tip just, hey, I need you to know Jesus loves you and he died for you and he's got a plan for you. And we wrote that on the receipt. 
Like, isn't that so much better? Like, not trying to trick anybody, not trying to shove it in anyone's face, but just loving people? That's what we're called to do. Guys, I see the fear in the rise of same-sex marriage. And there's so much fear with that that I see in Christians. I see fear of, like, what if, if, they, if they come into our churches, like, they're going to corrupt everybody, and, oh, my gosh, like, what's going to happen? Guys, Jesus, during his time, had dinner parties with prostitutes and tax collectors. If you, like, saw an Instagram post of me sitting at a table with a bunch of drug dealers and prostitutes, you'd think, like, I had fallen off the deep end. Jesus would have been, like, if, if they had Instagram back then, Jesus would have been getting in trouble all the time. And that's the fact. People did not like him for what he did. They did not like that he hung out with sinners. Guys, we don't have to be afraid of people who sin. You know why? Because we're people who sin. It's a disease. And we have it. And so do they. And their symptoms look different than our symptoms. We're called to love them. We're called to reach out to the lost and say, come to the kingdom of God. Not to say, um, not to say things like, hey, your sin is fine. I accept it. Come on, hang out with me, and you can just keep doing that sin. I don't want people to tell that to me about my sins. I don't want people to tell me that my sins are fine and I keep doing them. Like, sin is a cancer. If we tell people their sin is fine and just keep letting them do it, we're letting them die from a disease. But that's different than standing on a street corner and yelling at them. That's different than treating them like an outcast at our schools, like some Christians do, and even at some Christian colleges. Treating people who are a part of a sinful lifestyle, and maybe even against Jesus. A lot of Christians are afraid of people like that, and they view them as the enemy. But people aren't the enemy. People are never the enemy. People are victims of the enemy. They're in the chains of the enemy. And God has called us to be a part of breaking those chains. Guys, I even see the fear in this new news story that's happening with these refugees. You know, there's all these people. And um, they're over in Syria and other countries. And um, our country is trying to let them in. You know, our president is trying to let them in. And that may or may not be a good idea for the safety of our country. That's very true. Because there might be terrorists in that group. That's very true. Like, I'm not going to argue about that. That's 100% true. Like, politically, uh, realistically, sensibly, I don't know if what the president is doing is a good idea or not. I, I, I'm still trying to figure it out for myself. It's definitely dangerous. It's definitely risky. But what I see is Christians online just angry. Just like, oh, this is terrible. Like, oh, those people need to go to Afghanistan and deal with them there. I've, I've, I've read so many comments over the weekend, um, just or the week, where people are like, um, let's kill them all and let God sort them out. You know, I care about my country first. I care about my safety. I don't want anyone to come in because they could hurt me. And I say, just let's bomb them. And, you know, God will sort out who was a Christian and who wasn't. Like, I've read some horrible things. Here's where I'm at, okay? I'm not responsible for the government. I probably can't change the government. But the reality is, those people, if I was going to share the gospel with them, I would have had to gone to their country. But now they might be coming here. So if they come here, even though that scares me, it does. It it freaks the heck out of me. Like, I remember after 9-11 happened, after September 11th happened, um, if I was at an airport and I saw anybody who looked even vaguely Muslim, I was terrified to get on that plane. But that, 
that was me being fearful. That was me being afraid for my own safety and not thinking about the people who need Jesus. And so regardless of what the government does, we need to love. As Christians, our role is to love. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And so I'm at this point in my life um, feeling like, one, I need to go down to um, the mosque in my uh, neighborhood, you know, right by the church. There's, there's where a bunch of Muslims meet. I've never gone down there. I've never tried to talk to them. I need to do that. I need to go try to tell them about Jesus. And if a bunch of refugees moved into Vista, one, I'd be freaked out. But two, I would say perfect love cast out fear. I'm not going to be angry about this. I'm not going to sit around and complain. I'm going to realize that God has put me in a position where I can reach these people for Jesus. And hey, I might get killed doing that. Like, I could die. Like, I could, like, the reality is things could get very serious around here. We, we think if, you know, it's happening in France, like, oh, but it wouldn't happen here because it's America. It could happen here. Like, we could see very soon terrorists setting off bombs all over America. We could. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it happened in France, and they probably never thought it could happen there. The, re- the question is, if it happens here, as Christians, are we just going to go hide Are we just going to go, oh, I don't want to lose my life? Or are we going to remember that Jesus said, he who loses his life for me finds it? Are we going to try to survive so that we can live longer on earth when we have eternity to look forward to? Are we going to put ourselves last and put others first and realize that Muslims, regular peaceful Muslims, they exist, they need Jesus, and terrorists need Jesus too. And Paul the apostle He was a terrorist, and he got knocked off his horse as he was going to kill some Christians, and God got in his life and changed his life. Who's to say he can't do it again? I know this is big, heavy stuff, but Jesus calls us to be a part of it. Fear holds us back. Some of you guys are afraid. I realize that. I'm afraid sometimes, too, about this stuff. But I want to encourage you. Jesus died so that you don't have to be afraid. And I used to be so scared of dying at your age because I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in the church. I knew about heaven. And I knew that, you know, one day I die. I don't, I don't know what heaven would look like. It's kind of scary. It's kind of freaky. I get that. If you're there, I understand. But I need you to know that Jesus loves you and he's got you in the palm of his hand. And no matter what happens to your body, you have a bulletproof soul. It is indestructible. And God is calling you to use your life and not waste it. Fear holds us back. And think about it. If you were an orphan, just imagine you're an orphan and you're wandering through the streets. It's scary because you're homeless and you got nothing to go to. You've got no money. You've got no one to take care of you. You're just wandering through the streets and it's terrifying. Now imagine if instead of an orphan, you used to be an orphan, but you got adopted by the king. And the king sends you out to go into the streets and to help people. And the streets are still scary, but at the end of the day, you get to go home to the castle. That's not as scary as wondering where you're going to sleep at night. It's not as scary as wondering how you're going to pay for your food. When God takes you, an orphan off the street, adopts you into his family and says, I have all that you ever will need. 
And I don't want you to just live in the castle away from everybody. I want you to take your inheritance, what you've gotten from the king, and go out and give it to others so that they can come be adopted too. That, it's so awesome. Guys, fear holds us back. Many of you guys, you might have fear of failure. You just are so afraid of messing up. Some of you guys, you have fear of not being accepted. You wonder, will people ever really truly love me? And you wear a mask to hide the hurt on the inside. Some of you guys, you're afraid of the idea of being unloved. And maybe you look at the mirror and maybe other people tell you you're good looking, but for some reason you just have like so little self-confidence. And you just look at the mirror and you hate what you see and you think no one will ever love me. No one will ever want me. Maybe some of you guys are afraid because of your sin. And you realize how wicked it is. Maybe you're afraid of the world's sin. You're afraid of being hurt by the wickedness in other people's heart. Maybe some of you guys are afraid of loss, pain, suffering. Maybe some of you guys are afraid of death. Guys, Jesus died so you didn't have to be afraid of any of those things. You don't have to be afraid of failure because in Jesus you have all of his success. You don't have to be afraid of not being accepted because Jesus died so that you could be accepted into his family. You don't have to worry or fear about not being loved because Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. If you were the only person on the planet, he would have hung on that cross for you. You don't have to be afraid of your sin or the world's sin because he came to take the sin of the world away. You don't have to be afraid of loss because Jesus says, whatever you lose for him, you will gain millions times more in his kingdom. You don't have to be afraid of pain or suffering. Jesus tells us that will happen to us if we are Christians, but he suffered for us the ultimate suffering. He died. We don't have to be afraid of death because Jesus died to give us life. Not just life in heaven one day, which will be amazing, but life here. You were dead in your sins. That's really hard for some of you guys to get because you grew up in a Christian family. You know, you, you heard it your whole life, but without Jesus, you would be dead. You would be a walking dead zombie without the Lord in your heart. But he has made you alive. In the 1980s, anyone ever learn about the Cold War? Cold War, okay. In the 1980s, we had something called Cold War Kids, you know? Cold War Kids, which is also a band. Um, but Cold War Kids in the 80s were these kids um, who basically grew up in war. They're your age, and they have fear. The big fear on everyone's mind during the Cold War was one day Russia is going to drop a nuclear bomb on us. And during the Cold War, this is what people were afraid of. And so kids, almost you know, every week they practice air raid drills where they would crawl underneath their desks and their teachers would say, if we get hit with bombs, if the planes come over and they drop, everyone needs to get underneath their desk. And people were terrified during this time period. Guys, we don't have to live like that. The king says to us, be strong and courageous. You have a bulletproof soul. Whether a nuclear bomb dropped on us right now or a meteor hit us, we would be able to fully experience the kingdom of God for all that it is. Our souls do not die. No one's soul dies, actually. Everyone will live forever. It's just a question of where will you live There was a story of a girl named, I think, Cassie um, during um, the 90s. Um, A bunch of gunmen came into her school 
and shot a bunch of her friends, you know, wearing black trench coats, big machine guns, and just going around and killing people. These were fellow students. Can you imagine at your school, people going around and shooting other people? It's probably the scariest thing that you guys can imagine. Uh, Some of you guys have actually been uh, through similar experiences. Well, this girl, she was in the classroom, and the gunman came to her, and they asked her, are you a Christian? And she said yes, because she wasn't afraid to die. And I used to hear that story. And even as an adult, I still, in the back of my mind, was like, man, Lord, I don't know. Dying still is scary because it's so uncertain. You know, how can we know for sure? But I have to tell you, the more I fall in love with Jesus, the more that fear goes away. And I'm prepared to say yes if that day ever comes to me. Because I know where I'm going. Not only do I know where I'm going, but I know where I am. I am in the Father's hands. I am protected by Him. I am loved by Him. He has given me a purpose and a passion for life and a mission that doesn't come because I'm a pastor, but it comes because I'm a follower of Jesus. And my my prayer for you guys is that you will be ready. And the reality is, for many of us, we may not even have to face that. But knowing that you're ready makes all the difference.